that you're continuing to pray for them and reach out to them. Um, <clears throat> the Fullers, the Hearts, Mrs. Burt, and then um, one that is on hospice now. Um, some of our men have gone and seen her yesterday, and our ladies have seen her um, Friday. Uh, is uh, Donna Smelzer is not doing well. She's on hospice. So continue to pray for her as, uh, and her family as they go through this difficult time of hospice. We all know what that is, right? So I appreciate your prayer for them. And then lastly, my wife and I are taken off for a week. I wish I could say it's for vacation, but it is not. <laughs> we are going to be... Um, <clears throat> We are going to be uh, defending our dissertation this coming week down in North Carolina. And our last daughter, Caitlin, is graduating from college. And so we are doing that all this week and pray for safe travels. But especially I'd appreciate your prayers that I'd be able to present the Word of God clearly during that defense because that's my goal. Romans chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. So, as I was studying this for the last couple of weeks, I've been running into a lot of different commentators in what they say about this. Basically, most preachers just skip this. I want to understand. Really not much there, you know, in their mind. But because we're going through the theology of vocation in our morning um, CE hour class, you should read this and then think, why would you ever skip this? <laughs> How many have read it now and you've heard it being read? And so this chapter reflects the personal and practical love Paul has for other people. We got this idea that, you know, there's so many things that are important. Theology is important, amen. The Word of God is important. Work is important. Life is important. Loving one another is important. There's a, a plethora of loves and, and things that are important in all of our lives. One thing that has to be on the top of that list or towards the top of that list if not equal with all the rest is people. People are important. Now, living in northern Minnesota, it's like, you know, we can go on a cabin now and be like, not even see a person if we go north two or three, two or three hours. How many understand that? And that's appealing, isn't it? How many think that's really appealing? <laughs> Absolutely. That's something our flesh desires, and we do need some of that. Amen. We need that downtime and alone with God time and reflecting on what He's done. But in reality, people are extremely important. Other people besides ourselves. 
How do we do the one another if there's no one another? Obviously. How do we love one another? How do we care for others? How do we serve others if there are no people? God has placed us amongst a group of people on this earth. For what? So that we can minister to them to glorify God. Amen? And when we serve people in our jobs, in our roles in life as a parent or a son or a daughter, whatever, in all those roles and all of our jobs, when we serve, we are serving God. We are worshiping Him. And we're worshiping Him by serving others. We serve others in many, many facets. Paul had that same mentality. And because of that, he writes this He's never been to Rome, as far as we know, at this moment. This is a letter written to them, this church at Rome, who he doesn't know, who who we, as far as we know, there's no apostle even been there. We have no idea. And he knows all these people, though. Why? Because he serves them. He hears about them. And he's going to talk about them here. Um, in In Romans chapter 16, you could say is very much like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What is 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter. And it is. Except now he's not going to just make um, basic statements and theological truths and principles. He's now going to call them by name. Because each one is important. Very important. Apart from Priscilla and Aquila, we know nothing of any of these people. That's how many of the commentators start. (laughs) We don't know anything about these people, so we know a little bit about Aquila and Priscilla because they're found throughout Scripture. But there are 24 names here and two people who are not named. Of the 26, nine are women. And if we had Phoebe, add Phoebe, there's a very impressive number when we reflect on the character of the male-dominated society. Because there is. Back then, women were nothing. But not true with Scripture. Amen? It's interesting. um, Gabe used a translation that translated a term service, translated it deacon, and applied it to whom? Phoebe. How many are taken back by that? Whoa, what's oh, going A deacon can be a lady? Well, let me ask you can a deacon be a lady? I don't have any shaking this way or any shaking this way, and we're just doing this. Right. We're going to talk about that because it's important, right? It's part of the Word of God. But it's very interesting that there are multitudes of women that are helping in these. In, uh, here's the reality within the church. In that male-dominated time frame of Romanism, which it was, came out of Hebrewism, which Hebrewism was also, you have almost half of them, almost, not quite, but almost half of them that he commends and loves and cares for and wants to make recognition of them are ladies. That should encourage you. Amen? It truly should. All right, let's first talk about Phoebe because the text does, all right? Phoebe, 
She is considered, as we found out, I'm going to go to, I'm going to do this one first. I commend to your sister, to you, our sister, Phoebe. First of all, our sister. What does that mean, our sister? So within, we've just gotten through all of this strong and weak discussions and how that we are to love one another within the church. This love is so grand and so masterful and so awesome that they're basically brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. That's who we are. That's who we are in this building. That's what Paul is saying about Phoebe. I commend you. And what's this word commend mean, by the way? Commend is the idea of giving, recommendation of. Basically, we're going to find out that Phoebe was probably the deliverer of this book. He's, she's probably the one that Paul used from where? Where, where was Paul during the writing of Romans? Yeah, I, I remember asking this question or being asked this question in, in college, and someone said, First Corinthians. No, but close, <laughs> right? Paul's writing from Corinth, right? Paul's writing from Corinth. Well, Phoebe's close to Corinth, and it tells us where she's at. But she's, he's sending her to Rome with this letter, we believe. So, I commend you, our sister Phoebe. Now, how do you think that's going to go? I mean, this, isn't that a man's job? So Paul's doing something out of the ordinary here. Paul is doing it with, with a sister in Christ that is a servant of the church. Anyways, I commend to you our sister. So to the church of Rome, he's taking the picture or the letter to our sister, sister in Christ, Phoebe, who is a what? How many of you have a, a, a translation that has the term deacon in it? Raise your hand. Okay. How many have servant in there? Okay. This is the problem with translations if you're not careful. And I'm going to show you how it is a problem. How many want to know why, how it's a problem? So if you could go back to 2 Timothy and find out what is the office of a deacon, you will find that office, one of the first requirements is what? Right. The husband of one wife. So then when you call Phoebe a deacon, is she going to be in any reality of truth, not in today's vernacular of dysphoria, is she, can she be a husband of one wife? Yes or no? She cannot be. Is there a seeming conflict in the text when they say that? Yes or no? Absolutely. It looks like a contradiction. Now, to be fair, in, first, or in Timothy, we find that there are either talking about deacons' wives or a special group of ladies that some people call deaconesses, but the reality is deaconesses weren't even used till much later after Scripture. So that is an extra-biblical term. Okay? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's extra-biblical. And then we need to treat it like that. But this one... This word does say diakona. How many have a Greek translation of the Bible that you're reading from as we preach through this? All right, diakona. It's there. It's there. That term is used for deacons. But why did the translators take it and say deacon instead of servant? 
Is that a fair question? It's a fair question, and I cannot give you the motivations, but I have ideas. <laughs> so what is this term, diakona, mean? Well, let's go back to a couple of other passages of Scripture. Turn your Bibles to, Matthew, or to Romans chapter 13. By the way, if we want to know how Paul is using the word, isn't it a good idea to use the very same letter he's writing to understand the word better? Amen? Alright, the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 4, for it is a minister of God to you for good. Who is he talking about there? Romans chapter 13, it should come right into your mind who that's talking about. Government. We are to follow the government and obey them unless they make us disobey God. Then we just say, no, I'm not. I'm obeying God rather than men. But the reality is, the government is a minister. So, if the if the translator says deacon to Phoebe, then they should say deacon to the government. True? It's the same word. It's the same word. That, how many see that as a problem? That is a problem. It is a minister of God. What does that mean? It means the government serves God by helping the good and, and uh, putting into the jails the bad. As the government, right? That's their service. That is their ministering. But if you do as... And then we'll go to the next verse. Chapter 15, verse 8. Chapter 15, verse 8. The Bible says, I say that Christ has become a deacon. It's the same word. It's deacon, diakona. Why isn't... Let me ask you. Is it translated deacon in neither of those places? I should ask you it's not. It's service. Okay. So, in, in that translation, they said service, service, deacon. They changed it. That's interesting because what it is, it's saying they have a motivation to do so. And we've got to be careful about that. So, is Christ ever considered a deacon? No. He's the head of the church. He is the groom, right? I said that Christ has become a servant. That's a perfect word. Servant, minister. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, we find that same term, servant, used as deacons, that is the word, to wait on tables. That is the deacon's job. To serve. But there are everybody... Listen, let me ask you, in a sense, are all Christians to serve? Yes or no? Yes. Are all Christians called to be deacons? No, but they are called to serve. The attitude is this, everybody should be a servant. Everybody, and that's exactly what he's saying here. The government's a servant, and here Christ is a servant. And here, in reality, Phoebe is a servant. She served this church, and the church that she served <clears throat> is at... Centria. Where's Centria? Just outside of Corinth. How many have your study Bibles and you got all that information? Good for you. You should have those. But remember this. Please remember this. What's in the margins and footnoted on the bottom of a Bible is not the inerrant Word of God. Okay? That just helps. We have to know that. This is a servant of the church which is at, just outside of Corinth. So, we have this lady, Phoebe. They call her a servant. 
Paul commended her as a highly proven servant of Christ. And that they had to receive her. They must receive her in a Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That is, as a true and faithful believer. Jesus promised that when believers minister to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, they do it to whom? Me. So as we serve people, as Phoebe was serving people, she was serving the Lord. Amen. We too should have the same attitude. It was just, uh, I come from a, a fundamental Baptist background. And one of the heads of the fundamental preachers, he's like 60 to 70, he's probably 70 right now. He wrote a, thing, a, a little blog that said, A vocation is something you have to do. Listen. A vocation is something God has called you to do. And therefore, you embrace that and love that. By the way, are you going to come with a different attitude if you have to be there or if you want to be there? If we are truly born again, if we truly love the Lord, we will want to serve God wherever He has called us. Phoebe is a perfect example. So we're to, they were to... Help her and encourage her and feed. By the way, feed her and clothe her if she needed it. Whatever it needed to be in Rome, Paul is saying you need to do this. The inference is that Phoebe traveled with a, um, a group of servants that is found here. A helper of many. Helper is the idea of she, she helped a lot of people. with, and, and it's important to know that because she can travel... It gives us the idea that she probably had what? Means to travel. Money. We find her here. We find her also then in Rome. She was much probably like Priscilla in that sense. There were not many wealthy people in the church of that day. Why is that? Let's just be honest. There's probably not a lot of wealthy people in the church today. <laughs> Unless we change the program. Let me bring you back historically to an era called the Great Awakening era. Did Was there a large revival or true salvation that took place during the Great Awakening? As far as we know, yes. We weren't there. The second Great Awakening, that's questionable. <laughs> but the first Great Awakening was a populist movement. What does that mean? Here's what happened. If you remember... The state church priests came over from England and set up, set up state churches within the colonies. And those state churches told people what to do, what to wear, what all that. Matter of fact, those were the state churches that said you do not talk to the gospel to the slaves because then they'll be saved and then we'll have to treat them like normal people. That literally happened. 
The state churches had an iron fist on the Word of God. They had an iron fist on the colonies. The Great Awakening took place because there were a few preachers like one named Jonathan Edwards, a Presbyterian, by the way, Congregationalist they call him, but a Presbyterian. George Whitfield, an Anglican. Charles and John Wesley, Anglicans. And then I'm going to put another Presbyterian in there. His name's Gilbert uh, Tennant. Gilbert Tennant. These guys had had enough. They said, enough is enough. We need to preach the Bible, not just what some book is saying apart from the Bible. We need to live the Bible. We need to preach the Bible. People need to be saved. What's going on? And they preached the Word of God. Amen. And all of a sudden, these common people they called back then, they were getting saved. Some of them didn't even know how to read and write. They started going out and preaching the Word of God. <coughs> that their native Christ is great. And a great awakening took place. Why? Because it was a populist movement. Something that they, they could actually wrap their heads around and understand. Not the Latin being preached from the pulpit of their church. How many of you get it? There are stories about clouds of dust from, from, the from the colonies coming to the tent revivals because of clouds of dust was all their horses. Just huge cloud. It was, the whole town was covered in deep dust because of all the people that came in. Could you imagine a great awakening in the United States today? I will tell you, God makes all that happen in His timing. But He uses people like you and I that rub shoulders with unsaved every day. And if we are not glorifying God in our everyday lives, they will never know the God of the Bible. We must be about, just like Phoebe, serious about serving people for the glory of God. <clears throat> Phoebe was probably the bearer of the letter, a servant, a helper that loved the Lord, a worker. Aquila and Priscilla, these are names that we hear often. This greeting is extended to cover the church that meets at their house. Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible says this, it says, greet Aqui uh, Priscilla, Prisca, by the way, that's Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. So, Aquila and Priscilla, who were they? What did they do? <clears throat> Aquila and Priscilla, they must have been, to be mentioned in the Bible, just like Phoebe, they must have been really important priests or bishops. Not at all. These people were common people. They didn't work inside the church per se. Their work was in the world. But their work was sacred outside the church. So Aquila and Priscilla, we know them because we've heard Paul speak of them before. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers just like Paul. So they were construction workers. They were contractors. You know, the ones that you go there and you hear all these lovely words when you go to a contracting place where all the construction workers are found. That's who they were. 
They built houses. And so Paul, when he would go to a town, some of them, he would go and help them and become part of the construction crew and work with Aquila and Priscilla. They must have made great houses because we find that they had a, 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 a business in Rome, then they had a business in Corinth, and then they had a business in Ephesus. We know that they were in all three places and that they owned homes in there. Well, you build them, you probably live in one, right? So we have them in three different places and Paul is staying here. He's saying, listen, these guys helped tremendously because the very building that they would build, they opened it up to start the church in. Amen. And they were workers, fellow workers in Christ Jesus. How in the world can there be a fellow worker in Christ Jesus if they're pounding nails? Because everything, all of life, is sacred to God. And we serve God through everything. Matter of fact, it is, they, they, that love for each other was so great and so grand that Paul tells, them that, tells the church at Rome that these two risked their lives for me. Pretty powerful love. It wasn't just another construction worker, if you will. To whom I not only give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles need to give thanks in essence. What does that mean? Their ministry helped Paul continue his ministry. Does that make sense? It's exactly what took place. You see, Paul could never have done this on his own unless God had a plan for that. And his plan was to use everybody, right? The same thing goes today. The same exact thing. There are people in this room who are dynamic at what they do. And I would be really dumb to do it instead of them. How many understand that? They have helps in different areas and strengths in their lives that, that complement the weaknesses and strengths in each other's lives. Remember, we've talked about the strong and the weak throughout all of chapter 14 and 15. That whole idea is every single person in here is strong and weak in areas. And we help each other out in those strong and weak areas to be a strong body for Christ. Amen. So these people were pretty, they risked their own necks. They were placed in their house. It's interesting, I, I found as I was studying, and some of these words won't make sense to you, but the Liber Pontificatus, in the life of Leo III, there, in, that, in that 765 to 816 is when Leo III was there, there is a, a plaque, let's call it. And on that plaque is stated that the body of St. Prisca was translated from the place of the Austin Road where she had been buried and transferred to the church of St. What do you think? Aquila and Priscilla uh, the, on the Aventine. And the tradition is put very clear in the inscription, apparently, of the 10th century, which formerly stood over the door of the church. So, the inscription says, Titulus Aquilae et Priscilla. 
pretty cool. The early church thought so much of guys that worked outside the church to serve God in their vocation. Not only did they revere their death burial and inscribe on it, but then they took it and they literally there's a church called the St. Church of Aquila and Priscilla. Let me ask you, in the early church, is vocation outside the church important? Highly revered. I would say they were highly revered just as much as John and Paul, where we have churches named after them. I'm not saying we should name our church after a person like that. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm trying to help us understand their ideas of these people that worked outside the church. Extremely important. The next one, Epinetus, the first convert of Christ from Asia. It is likely that this man was especially beloved of Paul for the very reason that he was the first convert or first fruits of Asia. It's interesting. I should get over here. Greet Epenetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. What does that verse tell you? Number one, there are more converts in Asia. Right? There's later fruit. It's not just this one. It carries with it the thought of a greater harvest. The first convert from Asia who became part of Paul's offering of the Gentiles to the Lord. That's the idea. This is what Paul's he's bringing that priestly sacrifice that we talked about five weeks ago. This guy, Epenetus, and all these names are going to be a pain, and that I'm telling you because they're very difficult. I can never remember all of how to articulate all of them. But this guy was the first fruit, and he's still around. What does that tell you? It was real. It was real. Paul calls him what? My beloved. I love this guy. This guy, great guy. First came to know the Lord in Asia, was the first of this big group of people. Second, third one, Mary. Fourth one, I guess we're at. Greet Mary, Paul continues. And what do we know about her? What do we know about Mary according to the text? Worked hard. Young people, adults, work hard. There's no amens to that. Work hard. One of the things that I know I am so thankful for in my upbringing, my grandfather and my father worked extremely hard. Every day, they worked hard. In today's society, that's a dirty word. For a Christian, your job is a calling from God. Therefore, when you are fulfilling that calling, you are working hard at it. Amen? 
And by working hard at it, you are literally serving and glorifying God. Mary worked hard. Are you, are you noticing a theme? <laughs> Serve, love, work, work hard. This theme is going to continue through the whole thing. This isn't my words. These are Paul's words. So Mary... Now, instantly we go to, well, which Mary is that? Probably one of the, well, for sure, one of the 250,000 Marys that lived at that time. And that's about as much as we can narrow it down to. It carries the idea of this working hard is toiling at a task to the point of weariness and exhaustion. The phrasing of this verse suggests that Mary may not have been known to Paul personally and that he knew of her hard work. And where would she, he know of her hard work? Probably from ones that are already mentioned that he lived with all the time. Aquila and Priscilla. I will tell you this. How many have ever been on a construction site or know a construction person? Every hand should raise. <laughs> Most of you are saying, my dad's. Right? <laughs> Reality is, how long does a person last when they don't work hard? Doesn't work, does it? This is a construction site that Aquila and Priscilla are running. It is tent making. They know who works hard and who doesn't. So her name was brought up, I can't tell you dogmatically, but probably brought up during the conversations Paul and Aquila and Priscilla had as they were building houses or tents. In other words, what do you say about Mary? She had a good testimony that she was a hard worker. There's a lot of people today who literally... Their, their lot in life and their desire in life is to live off the government. Folks, they will never understand the joy there is in work. And they will be helpless their entire life. And their testimony is not one for the Lord, but a self. All those are found here in this text. Another one, Antrodonicus and Jonaeus. This means, Antrodonicus, the name means man of victory. They had a special and perhaps unique relationship to Paul. <clears throat> the text says, Greet Ananarchus and Janaeus, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. There's a lot of information about these guys. How many have ever heard of these guys till now? How many have heard of Paul? Oh yeah. Well, these guys were saved before Paul and they are outstanding among the apostles. What does that mean? They're like the upper crust of those apostles. There's something special about these guys. What do we know about them? My kinsmen. Now there's some, there is some debate on what that kinsman means. Some people believe that that word kinsman means they were fellow Jews. They're of the Jewish lineage. Some people believe it's relation to Paul. I will tell you what I... How many want to know what I believe? Here's what I believe. I don't know. 
That's what it is. I cannot tell you what it is. It's one of those two probably. Regardless, what did, what did we find about them? Number one, they're outstanding apostles. By the way, we do know, don't you, that they weren't just 12 apostles. There were multiple apostles. Now, we know the 12 because they were closest to Christ, right? And they were with Him the whole time. But there were many apostles. But these were esteemed high in value to, of the apostle. They were a high value apostle. They were notable. It's fairly clear from the New Testament that there was a wider circle of apostles besides the 12. And they belonged to that circle. And they were outstanding means they were real. They worked hard. They, they were side by side at one time with Paul for giving out the gospel and for proclaiming the gospel as Paul was told to do. They were serving the apostle and because of that they became what? Fellow prisoners. How many would today? You know, you're going to jail? Yeah, I'm kind of done with that. They didn't. Now, can you imagine, just for a second, I'm going to talk about this for just a second. Here's apostles that now are in jail. And we know what happened to Paul and Silas when they were in jail. What did they do? Anybody remember? They sang. Are you kidding me? Here they are in shackles. In not the most pleasant place in the town, probably the worst place. <clears throat> and they're singing and praising God. How many do that when six inches of snow falls? Just trying to be convicting, that's all. <laughs> These guys were fellow prisoners and they were outstanding. That means they did their job well, hard. Excellent. Ampliatus. Ampliatus, it says this of him, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. There's another common theme we, we see. Work, we see service, and we see love. Those are the three common themes we're going to see. He's, Paul greets the beloved in the Lord. Many slaves in the imperial households of that day had that name. So Ampliatus is, again, hard to know who this is exactly talk of, talking about. It is conceivable that he was among the believers in Caesar's household mentioned by Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4.22 talks about that. Commentators draw attention to a tomb dating from the late 1st century or early 2nd century in the catacombs of Domitilla the earliest Christian catacomb. It bears the inscription Ampliteta, the same guy, or the same name anyways. The single person's name suggests a slave. The honor of all elaborately painted tombs suggests that he was prominent in early Roman church. So you've got all this you can put together. And this is how theologians work, all right? So what do we have, what do we have biblically? This is all we have. What do we have then historically? Okay, what historically? What catacombs do we have? What are the inscriptions on those catacombs? And, and, and then you can put a picture together. How many understand that? 
somehow in the catacombs, the earliest church catacombs that are known, this guy in this name shows up. Does that tell you he's an important person? Usually it does. And that's so we, we believe that he was a slave and he had a connection with Domitilla. And it seems to show that that slave or free, freedman, because slaves, some of them became freed. And by the way, we're going to deal with what was going on in Rome with slaves next, not next Sunday, but the Sunday afterward. Because, Lord willing, Rome was in trouble. How did Rome die? Rome died from within. What started that downfall? The slave revolts. Why did they have slave revolts? They didn't like to work. And so they had to keep conquering countries and bringing in more slaves. So the more elitists that grew, then the greater the slaves had to grow. It grew so big that they then started pulling your hair, their hair. What do we do? We've got to treat them like a foreign occupation against them. They are our enemy. That's how we have to treat them because they're so large. There were 10,000 slaves came in in a day. Huge. Eventually they revolted. And literally Rome... I'm not going to say literally, but Rome burned down. I'm not talking about the actual fire, but it, it collapsed. And guess who took its place? The church. What is it today? It's its own little country, right? The Catholic Church. And all of that is because... In a sense, the Romans hated work and thought it was beneath them. They thought, matter of fact, they would say things like, um, anybody who uses their minds to do the menial tasks of, let's say, shepherding, their minds are the dung heap and no good for anything anymore. They hated it. But they had to live and survive, so that's why they had slaves. Ampliatus was one of those slaves. We know that he was a slave because of the, of the name of his name. Urbanus and Stachus. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Um, the beloved, the apostles' deep and sincere love for fellow believers and for fellow workers in particular, no matter how little known they were or how insignificant their service was, from a human perspective, Paul held them in esteem. This is so interesting to me, and I, I don't, I'm sure some of you are bored because of all these people's names. But I'm telling you this, this excites me because here's what's going on. Paul is talking about the church people. He's not talking about the hierarchy. Are you following this? If you were to go to a pastor's fellowship, 
You would have pastors mingling over and over. As soon as the preacher from the podium gets down, pastors rush over to him because they've got to talk with the guys that are important, right? My father-in-law has been to many of them with me. My father-in-law stands there. And people come up to him and ask him, what church do you pastor? I'm, I, I'm retired. I haven't pastored a church. And they walk away. Why do they walk away? He's not important. Look at how Paul deals with us common people. How many understand this? That's why it excites me. Paul is recognizing these people in what would be considered low estate and how great they are, and eventually churches get named after them. It, 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 it's exciting to me. Okay, pastor, you're weird. Okay, I, yeah, I am. The next guy, Apelles. Apelles is being approved in Christ. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. How many of you would love that as your monolicker? Woo! Approved in Christ. This guy knows what he's doing. This guy loves Jesus. This guy cares about Jesus. He cares about Him so much that his whole life is serving others. He's approved. Carries the idea of being tried and tested and was used of precious metals, approved that word is, like gold and silver. It passes the test for purity. Whatever field of service in Christ he was in, Apelles performed well. He did his job well. Did his vocation well. Household of Aristobus. Now this is the first time now we're not talking about a person. Do you see that? This is now a household. Why is that? The Greek phase here of Aristobulus, the word household being implied. This is the household of Aristobulus. The idea here is Aristobulus probably did not know the Lord, but the slaves within his house knew the Lord. How many understand that? That's probably what is trying to be said. It is believed that Aristobulus was the brother of Herod Agrippa I and grandson of Herod the Great. Now do you know who Aristobulus probably was? Was he a high echelon politician? Yes. When Aristobulus died, his household, including his wife, children, slaves, and possessions would have become the property of the emperor, although they would still have been referred to as the household of Aristobulus. In, that, in essence, if there, is there, it's possible that this group of believers were probably, if Aristobulus is who we think he is, and I truly believe he was, their household, all those slaves, were in the house of the imperial Caesar. There was probably a group of Christians within that household. Very intriguing. There would be many Jews in such a household, and this may have opened the way for the gospel. However it happened, it is of interest that there were Christians in such household in Rome. And it's important. Why? Because the gospel has no boundaries. Amen. Greet one another, the household of Aristobulus. Here's one, Herodian. 
Herodian as my kinsman is the text. Herodian, my kinsman. Paul physically, <clears throat> whether this was a Jew or his relative, he, was, he also could have been just a spiritual kinsman in Christ. Although he's using that word differently throughout here, so I believe it's either a Jew or a, a relative. Regardless, as the name indicates, Herodian, where does that come from? What does that sound like? Herod. He was of Herod's family in some way and therefore may have been associated also with the house of Aristobulus. Let's keep going here. Nars, I, I've had a hard time with this word all week because I'm thinking this guy was a dirty, rotten liar. <laughs> Because I see Narciss there, right? <laughs> Reality is, this is the name of a guy, right? And the text says, Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 11 is where we're at. He is mentioned closely with Emperor Claudius, this guy was. Matter of fact, it is understood that he was at one time his secretary. It is therefore possible that at least two households within the palace, within Caesar's palace, had Christians in them. If so, those believers may have been among the saints of Caesar's household talked about in Philippians chapter 4, which is quite interesting. Next ones. Now, how many can understand this is a little difficult to say all these words. You need to thank Gabe for really taking work to do this. Tryphania and Tryphosa. Tryphania and Tryphosa. Who were these two? Greet Tryphania and Tryphosa. Who were they? What does it say? Workers in the Lord. These possibly were two twin sisters whose name means delicate and dainty. Today, it could have been two twin brothers, but shouldn't be. How many understand this? Men, you're not to be dainty and delicate. That is not your calling. These two are twin sisters, dainty and delicate. Those words may have characterized their lives before salvation, but spiritually, what were they? Workers. Young ladies, listen to me carefully. Oh, I'm too much of a girl to work. Should never come out of your mouth. Now, I understand there are some work that only men can do. Got it. Just remember, there are some labor that only women can do also. All the people that God have called are designed to work. Where does that leave? Anybody out? None. These were workers in the Lord. It might be that Paul is using, some people believe that he's using a gentle irony here. When he, when he commands delicate and dainty to, that they're workers. Do you see the 
the, the dichotomy there, right? It's quite interesting. Next one, Persis. Persis, greet Persis the beloved, who did what? Worked hard in the Lord. Persis, she was loved by everyone who knew her, because, but she also was one who worked hard in the Lord. Hard worker. Is it just me, or is it true that Paul is naming all these people that are hard workers, in, whether outside the church or inside the church, they're hard workers for Christ. Amen? And he's calling them out in a good way. He's, he's showing that, listen, these are great people. They worked hard. Next one, Rufus. Now, to me, this name, what did that remind you of, Rufus? What's that? I can't understand. A dog. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that because I don't own one. So that's out of my context. But there is a Rufus in my favorite movie. It's actually not a mo- It's not Rufus, but it's Rufy O. So I thought of Peter Pan. You are weird. <laughs> Regardless, Rufus... Who is this guy? Listen to his name and what it means. Or listen to what Paul explains about him. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Oof. A choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. What did he just say? Okay, so some people say, well, this Rufus is Paul's brother and that this is his mother. But the reality is it's probably the adopted mother, if you will. The adopted brother or whatever. And it's interesting for Paul. I mean, Paul's got all these people that work hard around him. Why? 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 Because he works hard. He works hard. There's those, I'm telling you, there's guys that I hang around and I don't hang around them. They're like, oh, I hate work. Will it get my hands dirty? <sighs> Man, I can't get away from them. I can't handle that attitude. I, I, I hate that attitude. By the way, Paul is saying the exact opposite the same way though, right? These are the guys that, these, I love these guys. They work hard. They do a good job. He was choice in the general sense in which the word is used today. He was an extraordinary Christian. Known for his love and work for the Lord and for the Lord's people. Some people believe. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 15 verse 21. It says this, the soldiers are to carry the cross was the father of Alexander and, guess who? Rufus. Was it him? I don't know. But he certainly had the same name. Rufus mentioned here by Paul was one of those sons of Simon who may have been brought to saving faith in Christ through that contact with him on the way to Calvary. It could be him. His mother... And mine, Paul says, does not mean that Rufus and Paul's natural brother, but 
Rufus' mother, somewhere and in some way during Paul's travel and ministry, had cared for Paul and for other apostles as if he, they were his, her son. Does that make sense? I, I like this guy. And if this is the guy that helped crawl, carry the cross of Christ, I love this guy. Do you realize, I mean, can you imagine, there are Roman soldiers in this parade. And he's going to go up there and grab this and carry it. Why? There's a job that needs to be done. And I'm going to do it. I don't care if it costs me my life, because it could have. Answer to Chris, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobas, and Hermas. Whew. How many are going to rename your children? <laughs> Bible says, greet all these guys and the brethren with them. Why? They were important to Paul. They're important to Paul. By the way, all... This is a group of five names, otherwise unknown, but commonly names of slaves and freed men. It is possible that they form a group such as a house church. There were brothers linked to them. They may have been slaves of one man or freedom of Ancinicris. Means incomparable and phlegian burning. The later is cited from a, a, a historian, of Greek historian. These were common names for slaves. And um, slaves were a common thing. And by the way, when all you are is a piece of meat that works for the important people, to know that someone cares for you, you, you tend to love them and embrace them. Remember I said in the beginning, this was a populist, the church was a populist thing. How many remember the Great Awakening? The same thing's happening here. These are common people, slaves. And they are now part of the church. Then there's more. Philagolagus, Julia, Nereus, and Olympus. The Bible says, greet, Philippi, greet these guys and all the saints who are with them. <clears throat> Barclay writes this, and I think it's pretty important. In A.D. 95, there happened an event which shocked Rome. Two of the most distinguished people in Rome were condemned for being Christians. They were husband and wife. The husband was Flavius Clemens. He had been council of Rome, the wife of Domitilla, and she was a royal blood. She was the granddaughter of Vespasian, a former emperor, the niece of Domitian, the reigning emperor. In fact, the two sons of Flavius Clemens and Domitilla had been designated Domitian, Domitian's successors in the imperial realm. Flavius was executed and Domitilla was banished to the island, island of Pontia, where years afterward Paul saw the cave where Domitilla drew out a long martyrdom of the Christian name. And now the point, the name of the chamberlain of Flavius was Nereus. Nereus was part of this group 
within close contact to the Caesar were Christians. It is possible that Nereus the slave had something to do with the making into Christians of Flavius Clemens and Domitilla, the princess of royal blood. In other words, this slave was probably influential of the salvation of people that were very close to Caesar, which in the end Caesar slaughtered because of Christianity. This Flagos, I know, how many are enjoying history somewhat? Although, okay. <clears throat> Flagless, the name means fond of words. <laughs> that can be taken two ways, right? It may be equivalent to chatterbox or referred to as a secretarial occupation. Lightfoot cites it from the inscriptions of the imperial household again to be a secretary. Julia, another one, was probably the commonest of all Roman female slave names. Um, Neros is the name, uh, Nero's, by the way, Nerius is probably Nero's slave. That's where that term usually comes from. Olympus is, where do you think that came from? That one you would go, oh yeah, I get it now. What kind of name is Olympias? Greek name, very good. Greek. Within this group, there's an association of group of saints. Paul sends a greeting to all of them. It, Paul loves people doesn't care what they do for a living, as long as it's not sinful, right? He really admires them if they work hard in their occupation and their role. He loves them. And now he's commending them, pulling them out and saying, look, these guys are doing great. Why would, they, why would he do that? Do you think there was some lazy Christians in the church of Rome? Do you think that could be a reason he does this? Possibly. Look at the example. Now, the last one we're going to talk about today is not a person. How many are done with names we can't pronounce? This is not normal service, okay? It's just where we're at in the text, and I'm not going to skip it. Greet one another with what? A holy kiss. When I was a teenager, I was really concerned. Why in the world do we not do this? I'm going to follow biblical examples for fleshly reasons. That necessarily doesn't go well, right? A holy kiss was an embracing and a kissing friends on the forehead or cheek was common in Old Testament times. Paul admonishes believers in Rome to maintain the practice when they would greet one another. The practice of the holy kiss, of kiss of love, continued for many years in the early church. It probably came to an end by being corrupted by sensuous perversions, you think? <clears throat> Some centuries later, it was 
somewhat revived in the form of liturgical kisses. Oh, doesn't that sound exciting? Which was purely formal and ritualistic, not personal or spiritual. Paul extends greetings in behalf of all the churches of Christ, doubtless referring to all that are out there. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I'm going to stop here because we have some more men to finish up eventually, but also there's a warning, and it ta- that warning deserves more time than what I have left. Does that make sense? So the reality is this. When you think of kissing, do you think of the boss hating you? Or do you think of the respect and love that mom and dad have with each other? I'm asking. The later, right? Let me ask you. We must be loving one another, right? Do we truly love one another? Folks, there are some people here that need somebody just to go around, grab, grab a hold of your shoulder and pull you close and say, man, I'm praying for you and I love you. When have you done that? I don't know. I'm not, I have no idea. But we need to love one another. This holy kiss thing is not going to be going around and giving herpes to everybody. Not talking about that. We're talking about literal Are we going to love each other? Do we care enough for each other? Now, praise the Lord. I I love this church family. My church family. And all of us, it's your church family. Amen? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we not get along sometimes? Probably not. But we choose to love each other. Amen? We choose to care for one another. We choose to stand up for one another. We choose to pull each other up. We choose to go over there. I love this. Pastor, I'm a hugger. Can I hug you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I care for you. We need each other. I'm telling you this because the future is is horrible. The world is going to drive you to love each other. Let God bring you to love each other. Amen? I'm telling you, this world is not our home. And we need each other for love, instruction, correction, encouragement, service, all those things. We better start now because it's just going to get worse. It is going to get worse. Why? Not only does it look like it's going to get worse, God says it's going to get worse. Do we truly love each other? It's funny. You go to these these, uh, preacher fellowship things or whatever they are, conferences, and it's all about I know him. I know him. He's cool. Yeah, I know him. He signed my Bible. Look at me. Isn't this great? All this stuff. Now, I'm not saying signing a Bible is wrong, whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter. The point is <clears throat> for the research paper that I have done now, we had about 
30 bivocational preachers that wrote a survey that we gave them. So I got to talk to 30 of these guys. I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them came to me with tears in their eyes. Because they're with a whole bunch of people that should care. And they don't want to talk to me. Because I'm a nobody. Romans chapter 16 is a bunch of nobodies that served and worked for God. And Paul loved them. These were the important guys. By the way, do you notice that Pope John was not on that list? Bishop Bill wasn't on the list? No. It was all these people in the trenches. That's where ministry is. That's where God has called you. That's what's important. I love this chapter. Okay, it's boring. I get it. But I love this chapter. Because it tells us that God uses common men and women to do uncommon things. These are the people God loves because they serve. They're humble, but they're totally dedicated to Him. And they are the ones. Do you know why the Great Awakening? Hey, they got excited about being saved and they told the world. Do you know why Christianity became the, 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 the because they were persecuted, but they loved each other? And out of that love came a huge church. Now it went way wall. God loves the servers and the workers. You are that. We are that. Amen? This is why that passage is important. Extremely important. Next, in two weeks, we will be preaching on the warning, which is, okay, those guys, there's those guys that are humble and they work and they serve, and then those guys, they're, they're arrogant and think they know it all. Right? This warning's about them. So what did he do? He held up in high esteem the common people of the church because of their work and love for the Lord. And then he's going to say, stay away from these guys. These arrogant know-it-alls. Stay away from them. Mark them. Get away from them. Which tells me, we need each other. I'm not saying holy kisses, but I am saying we need each other really bad. That's how we worship and glorify our God today. Amen? Mr. Gaiman, can you close, please? Please stand. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. I hope you plan on staying for the church dinner that'll be immediately after our service, following a little bit of setup. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, even that which at first appears to just be 
a sign-off from Paul, but where he specified people and that they were devoted to you and it showed in what they did in their lives. I pray that these people would be examples for us to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.